in January of 2020, uh, the bulk of churches started a new sermon series because that's a good time to start a new series. And I would say roughly two-thirds of those in the year 2020 decided that the series would be entitled Vision or, or something connected with that because they've been to the eye doctor. We realized pretty quickly that three months in, you got punched square in the nose, and our vision was crossed up, thrown off. Uh, for us as a church, rather than going into vision, Jared and I sat down and had a conversation, and we decided to walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you are unfamiliar with the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it's not really the way you start off a year most of the time, but we, we made that decision. And at the end of, end of the services, when you're working through the book of Ecclesiastes, you realize very quickly, this has a limited view, and there's something on the other side of it. So we decided to begin to close out our services for that series by going through the Lord's Prayer together. We took a slight break from Ecclesiastes in March of that year, if you'll remember, and we went to videos, and that was terrible for all of us because I'm not known to be photogenic, but here I was on your television screen every week, every week when I would watch with my children, whenever the video would freeze, they would freeze in whatever my facial expression was. It wasn't great. It's really hard watching yourself on TV. You may wonder why we kept doing that. that Why we as a congregation of people, as a group of believers, continued to say the Lord's Prayer together. What it would, why that was something that we found to be valuable. I mean, after all, we are a Protestant church. We are an evangelical church. And those aren't typically rhythms that you see in Protestant evangelical Reformed-ish churches, but here we were doing this each and every Sunday. It's reserved for settings that are unlike ours. Where are Chad and Jared getting this hippy-dippy mumbo-jumbo? Why do we keep saying these things together? And for me, as I wrestled with that, and I began to think about what the Lord's Prayer meant, and even for us to continue saying it together, I thought about the various things that God really does teach us from His Word about us being united in prayer. First and foremost, just to help you out, the reason that we say the Lord's Prayer every week uh, as a church is it keeps us focused on something. It keeps us thinking about our own prayer lives, and we say it together to hopefully give some type of structure to your personal prayer. More importantly, Jesus says, pray like this. And I tend to try to take him seriously when he says things like that. Pray like this. So let's just look. Matthew 6. I'm going to read it from the CSB, which I preach from every Sunday. But then we're going to just look at it from the King James, which we say it together as a congregation with. It reads in Matthew 6 from the Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, when we look at it in the King James Version, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is Jesus saying to us when he gives us this direction as in regard to prayer? So over the next few weeks, we're going to work through this prayer as a congregation together. 
And we're going to look at what these various words and lines and phrases, what these rhythms, what these liturgies mean for us as a believing people. Does Jesus mean that we're supposed to pray this word for word, verbatim? No, I would say this, not exactly, but we are to pray with this consistent structure because it serves to mold our prayers. The first half of the prayer is about God, and prayer that doesn't start there, one theologian says, is always in danger of concentrating on ourselves. And very soon it stops being prayer altogether. And it collapses into random thoughts, into fears, into longings of our very own minds. Has anyone ever felt that in your prayer life? When things just dipped and went in a direction you weren't expecting that prayer to go? It just becomes random thought, fear, anxiety, stresses. Jesus, when he gives us this direction, he's letting us know what it means to structure our prayers in a way where we're seeing God the way that God would have us to see God. Where we're interacting with God in a way that God would want us to interact with Him. In addition, we see this, that when we pray this prayer together, we're acknowledging a few things, that the world that we live in is divided. Divided is probably not even the best word for it. It's fractured, and it's going every single direction. But we, as believers in Jesus, as those belong to the church, both macro, like the church, throughout the history of space and time, and the microchurch, In a divided world, we're a united people. Number two, we see that society as a whole is lost. These are the words of Jesus. I don't want to offend anyone, but I'll let Jesus offend you. When you don't have faith in Christ, Jesus says you're lost. And we as a believer, when we pray this, we are remembering that as his people, we have been found. We're looking at what it means for us to be praying people, a praying people. There's the Anglican Catechism, and it reads this. I believe in God the Father. Rather, uh, uh, I've lost myself. I'm sorry. I'll find myself. I'm right here. (laughs) For us as a people, the central idea of what we're looking at today is this. An all-powerful God is our all-loving Father. An all-powerful God is our all-loving Father. You notice in that title, or in that central idea that I'm giving you today, the purpose for that is for us to see, yes, there's this generic, general sense of who God is that really all we have to do is look at the world to acknowledge. But when we look at this as believers, we are seeing that we belong to God, that He belongs to us, that we have a possessive pronoun that connects us to God. Not only that, he He is connected to us. We are also connected to Him. So that's who our God is. Let me give you just three ways we're going to see this. One is, He made us. Number two is, He loves us. And number three is, He cares for us. And we'll see that as we overlook a a tad bit of Scripture today. So if you're with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we typically go through books of the Bible here. From time to time, we'll go through a series where we look at a theme, look at a concept from the Scriptures, and see what does this mean for us as a people. And that's where we are today. The first is this. This God... An all-powerful God, who is the believer's all-loving Father, He made us. The word Father is uh, where we're focusing our attention today. And when we look at the notion of God being Father, we have to ask, who does that word belong to? And where do we get the idea in Scripture that God 
is our Father. Now, there are references to God being Father in the Old Testament, but they are relatively small. Let me give you some of those. Isaiah 63, verse 16. But you are our Father, through, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. Isaiah 64, 8. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Malachi 2.10, do we all have one Father? Did one God not create us? Why do we profane covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? So you have these three instances, there's one in Jeremiah as well, where we are referencing God being the Father who we know. So if you have this question about, is God the Father? There is an answer to that. It's really twofold. In the most general sense, yes, but in the specific sense, no. Is God the Father of everyone? Yes, in the sense that He created, and no, in the sense that that pronoun, our, changes things. Let's walk through this. Acts chapter 17, we, we get this passage from Paul, at, rather, it's Luke who's written it down from Paul at the Areopagus in Athens. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives everyone life and breath and all things, from one man He's made every nationality to live over the whole earth. And he's determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they will live. He did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. There is not a person on the planet who God did not make. God made every one of us. We are functionally created by God. He knows hairs on the heads of the believer and the unbeliever. He knows everything about every created being on the earth. We don't have to look deep into Scripture to see and acknowledge that. However, when we move to consider what it means for God to be the Father, we also have to see there is a no to this. We shift this word our, and we understand that this God who made us also cares for us when we go from Father in the general, generic sense to Him being our Father. Because there is something unique being said when we look and we see that the God who made you sees you and calls you back to Him. That we're all made in the image of God, but there are some of us who have not realized that we're made in the image of God. That happens for dads all of the time. Three years ago, there was a re- or two years ago rather, there was a really popular app that would age you. Does anyone remember when this was popular and all of us were giving our information to bots in Russia? And everyone would put their picture in and it would take you and it would make you 30 to 40 years older. And the world was shocked that in 30 to 40 years you look like your dad. It's because He made you. Every person on earth is made in the image of God. Because of what sin is, that image has been shattered, broken, distorted, and there is nowhere that we go where that distorted, shattered image does not follow us. It's, It's woven into our very being. We are down to two kids this week. Shepard and Charlie were outsourced to California. They've been there for a week and a half. I think they're paying taxes at this point. 
So last night, Hope, myself, the, the, the little two, we went to a friend's house for dinner. And while we're chatting with the parents at the table, that something took place with glitter in the back of the house that I'm still not sure what was there. There is nowhere you go in my friend's house right now where glitter is not. It's in the carpet, it's on the rug, it's on that poor doll. It's everywhere, everywhere you go. Those of us who are made in the image of God can know this. Because of what sin is and the way that it has affected the world, there is nowhere we go that it is not. It spread itself through our being. It, it's, it's part of what we do. We can't overcome it on our own. However, this God who is a Father who made us and whose image we were made in sees that there's distance because those of us who are not believers in Him, we don't know the joy of that. We don't know the relationship that comes with that. That Anglican Catechism that I referenced earlier, it says this, why does Jesus preach, teach us to pray, Our Father? It's a really good, helpful question. Because He could have just said, Father in heaven. And he would have been on point because God is, he is the perfect reflection of God. The sinless reflection of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus teaches us to understand ourselves not only as individuals, but as members of a family of believers. And to pray accordingly. It really does put every believer on the planet on the same level. It puts us in a place as followers of Jesus where we don't pity those who are in situations that we don't find to be uh, the, most, the best for us. So, there's an article released two weeks ago in certain parts of the world there are caste systems in place where Christians are being mistreated and they are not allowed to move up in caste in regard to the workforce. But those brothers and sisters, when they pray, Our Father, because of the person of Jesus, we are united with them. There are huddles of Christians in, in basements praying to our God, the same God that we have the freedom to pray to each Sunday. We're united with believers all over the world. And this hour lets us know we are all united in, by the same person, through the same act. But when Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father, we're seeing that He does love us. He loves us definitely and definitively. Then we can understand all the ways that God tells us about His fatherhood through the way that Jesus interacts with Him. Matthew 6, 9, the one that's our focus for today. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches His disciples to pray starting with Our Father in Heaven. This isn't the only place that he refers to God being our Father. Matthew chapter, uh, uh, the only time he refers to God as Father. In Matthew 11, Jesus praises God saying, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Matthew 26, 39, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In Matthew 14, and in Matthew 26, Jesus teaches us to pray, Abba, Father. In Luke 23, on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In John chapter 11, before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he addresses God as Father multiple times, emphasizing the deep relationship between himself and God. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now look, when Jesus is saying all of these things to God the Creator, Jesus, the perfect reflection of God, the image of the invisible God, 
Paul will come along and he will say multiple times things like this. Since faith has come, we are no longer under your guardian, the guardian of the law. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So everything that every aspect of the intimacy by which Jesus prays to God, we have been invited to that same intimacy. Every way by which Jesus prays and for direction from God, for His people, we are to ask for the same direction. Because we have access to God because God is our Father. There's a pretty well-known photograph from the... When John F. Kennedy was president, let me show it to you. Anybody remember? You're too young. We are too young to remember. Anyone have a grandparent that remembers this? Great. You have John F. Kennedy, and and under the desk, that's John F. Kennedy Jr. He's the son of the most powerful man in the world. Do you know who did not get to sit there? Other people's kids. If this were today, you wouldn't get to sit there. Your kid wouldn't get to sit there. This, him having trucks and tigers and whatever other toys they played with in the 60s, that space is unique to him because of the relationship that he has with the man in the chair. As believers in Jesus... We are closer to God, our Father, than J.F.K. Jr. was to his father, the President. And your interactions with God and mine are rooted firmly in that. Not only is God the Creator, who we understand to be Father in this general generic sense, for believing people through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus... We have access to God who loves us, who has an affection for us, who cares for us deeply. We're in that relationship with God. Ray Ortland says this, Ultimate reality is the Father reaching out and gathering in sinners as His own dear children through the grace of Jesus Christ the Son. This is where we can get so tripped up when we're looking at God as our Father. Because for a lot of us, we have daddy issues. We have, daddy, we have difficulties with who our father is and why our father is that. With the things that a parent may have put us through. With abandonment from moms and dads. We have, in, in a world that is where more than half family of the families are divorced, the notion of God being a father who is close to you is a foreign concept altogether. In, I do. I do. I feel that. I feel that personally. So when we started working through the Lord's Prayer as a church, and we continue to do it into every series that we do at this point, every time we go through the Scriptures, we're saying the Lord's Prayer as a faith family. Well, one of the things for me was I sat down and thought, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about this. I'm, I'm just going to write about what it means for the elements of the Lord's Prayer to be prevalent and, and, and how much they resonate with me. Now, I grew up in a home where my, my mom 
was there. She was, she, we found out she had cancer when I was seven years old. And my dad was there, but he wasn't really there. Detached from us at times, a tad bit abandoned. So when I sit down and open up my laptop to begin to write about God, my father, I would just have tears. I would have to go sit down somewhere, think about anything else. Now, Hope would tell me that's because you're tired, which is probably true. There's also, there's something that was resonating because I've got all of this stuff underneath the surface. When we're looking at God being our Father in these passages, we can't start from the point where we look at God and we we try to make Him a bold projection of us. What we have to see is we start with Him and see that even the best earthly fathers are dim reflections of Him. It's a sinful desire. And in the... In the most general sense, it is a very sinful desire in us for us to understand God based in us. There's an otherness to God, which is the notion of heaven that this passage talks about. This piece of this passage talks about. But we see that we are, in the most humane, earthly sense, we are a dim reflection of who this God happens to be. On top of that, we see not only does this God love us, did this God make us, this God cares for us, and He cares for us perfectly, which is not something we can say about even the best moms and dads in this space, even the best fathers in this room. And we've got really good dads in this room, really, who I would look at and say, that, that's, what, that's what an earthly father should look like. Our problems, however, when we see that for any of us and the problems and our struggles and our issues, our problems in a fallen, broken world, those are magnified when God isn't. On top of that, for believing people, that happens because we forget this concept that we are children of God by what He has offered us in Jesus. I don't want us to lose sight of that, that this, has, this is the deep, affectionate care of God for us as His people. That you've been invited into right relationship with God. And the way by which you've been invited is a very intentional, strategic, sacrificial act of God. When you look to the psalm, there is a reference in the psalm to God as our Father. And I don't want us to miss it. Psalm 103, 1 and 2. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all of His benefits. Verse 13 goes on to say this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. The the notion of compassion in this passage is pointing out to us and drawing our attention to the notion that God... He cares deeply for us. And He doesn't just care deeply for us when we are at our best. He cares deeply for us when we are at our worst. Now, a very dim reflection of that takes place for us as earthly moms and dads when we find pride in our children because they're just... Maybe you've got that kid who's acing ACTs or hitting home runs or they just really love, they just love the Lord and you're moved by their love for the Lord. And you look and you consider that there is an affection that you have for that child. Anybody ever felt any of that with their kids? Maybe you, your kids, hey, when they get the alphabet down, I'm boom, that was what I felt. That's heavy love. 
Think about the other end of the spectrum. When your child struggles, when you want to see them get over humps, when they go through what we believe and know to be sinful hardships, your affection for that child is, is obvious. Maybe in the really difficult conversations you have to have with him or her. Maybe in the way that you sit down and, and talk to them. When we talk about God's deep love, His compassion, His loving kindness for His children, we get a sense of that right there. That He has a deep affection for us. And that God does find joy when we are walking in alignment with Him in the way that we handle our sin struggles. But God doesn't lose that affection when we are walking through whatever we may be walking through, that the promises of God for us as His people are promises that are consistent, not based on, his, on my character, but on His. This is who our God is. That God would take the steps to redeem us so that we could be right before Him. John 1.12, it says this, But to all who did, not, who did receive Him... He gave them the right to be called children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but we were born of God. A spirit birth that Jesus will refer to when He talks to Nicodemus in John 3. You're born of the Spirit. So what does it mean for us to get those rights? When you look at Psalm 103 and you see my soul bless the Lord, the psalmist is reminding us to not lose sight of the connection that we've been given to God, the compassionate Father we will see in verse 13. We are reminded when we pray this, when we walk through this psalm, when we consider this psalm, that we have been invited to bless His holy name. That has been made possible for those of us who are His children. We have received the blessing of the Lord and we cannot forget all that comes with His blessing. And the reason that we can know that blessing, the reason that we can have that right, we are blessed to call God, call God our Father because Jesus was cursed in our place. We have rights because Jesus gave up His. We have access to God because there was a time and a place on the cross where Jesus, he shifted the conversation about God the Father. We notice that. Because you walk through all of those verses that we looked at just a few moments ago of the things that Jesus said on the cross. That he would pray, Our Father in heaven. I praise you, Father. My Father. Abba, Father. Father, forgive them. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. He said, whenever Jesus talked to God the Father, he called him that with this few exceptions. One of those takes place. When Jesus is on the cross, cursed for our sins so that we could be blessed, denied access so that we could have it, 
And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We haven't been invited into something so much richer, so much deeper, so much more beautiful, so much more incredible, so much more overwhelming than we even realize. We've been invited into the kingdom of God where the king is our father to whom we belong. So when we sing songs and when we open scriptures, I'd love for my own heart not to take that for granted. I pray the same for all of us. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? If you're with us this morning, we're grateful. If, you've nev- if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted the work of God on the cross to deal with your sin, I, w- I want you to know, though God made you in the general sense, you've not been restored to Him in the specific sense. This possessive pronoun that we see in the passage it, It's not something that you can align with. And we want to invite you to that because our God is always inviting, always calling, always bringing us to himself. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'd love for you to place your faith in Jesus. Conversation with the Lord could be something like this. You don't have to repeat after me, but Jesus, I need you. I need you because my sin has separated me from you. I want to be restored to you. Jesus, take my sin. I want you. And we can unpack that together in more detail later. But if you want to interact with the Lord in that way and place your trust in the Lord in that way, we would love to talk to you. I'll be at the back right-hand corner of the room. For For my people who are here each week who I know and love and Jared and I are given the opportunity to pastor, I just want to thank you for being here. If you're a believer in Christ in this room, you've placed your faith in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, whether you are a member of Grace Bible or not, if you are in Christ Jesus and you are brought together by the hour that this passage talks about, we're going to take communion in a moment. This is where we remember that Christ took our curse, that Christ made us right with God. So Jared will direct you to take that. But maybe for, for you, some of the places that we've looked at in, in this medley of texts this morning have, have been helpful for you, or they may have, even, may have even been difficult. Maybe you need to take time to pray for your wayward child or to thank God for your, your kid who seems to be moving in the direction that best honors the Lord. I'm not exactly sure where you are with all of this because I don't know you. I know you, but I don't know what's going on inside of each of us. So I invite you to interact with the Lord, your Father, if you are a believer in Jesus. I invite you to interact with Him this morning. Knowing that that God has a deep affection for you 
and you will never behave in a way where he will stop loving you. And he will simultaneously always call you to something more. Thank you, Father, for trusting me with this opportunity this morning. Be with our people. And help us to see you and know you and love you and trust you. We ask all this in the name of our Father, by the power of the Spirit, because of Jesus.